So let's get into it. Joshua chapter nine. Let me get. Uh, I just realized my IG wasn't going yet. Um, Joshua chapter nine. If you can go ahead and get yourself situated. <clears throat> if you are here for the first time, we're reading through scripture. So I'm going to spend about 20 to 25 minutes reading through um, the scripture. I love Joshua. I love the book of Joshua. Um, we're going to read through it. And then afterwards, I'll just share a few thoughts, uh, a few thoughts of reflection um, on this particular uh, portion of the scripture. So if you can go ahead and turn your Bibles there. Martha's Vineyard in the house. Good to see you. Um, uh, Joshua chapter nine. So go ahead and get yourself situated. Uh, we want to read the text and then we want to reflect and ruminate over the text. So this is what I call the read and rant. I read and then I rant. Um, we're going to read for about 20 minutes and then we're going to rant for another, or you get to endure my rant. You don't have to stay for the rant. My pet, my desire for you is to simply just read the word. If I could just read it with you. Um, I believe that that's, uh, the most important endeavor aside from prayer for any believer is to simply spend time in the reading of the word. We just want to read the scripture. Uh, and that's what we're going to commit to do here. So, um, this is critical guys that we spend this time. And so anyway, we've gone through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and now we're in Joshua. So, and if you ever, if you've missed any of the reading rants and you're looking, you're saying, Hey, this is my first time here. I wish I had been here before. Not a problem at all. We have a read and rant podcast guys. We're, we're about to hit 4,000, uh, subscribers on the podcast. That to me is incredible. Um, that we started this, what, like two months ago and to see where it is now. I'm, I'm, I'm blown away by that. Um, that's incredible. So guys invite a friend, uh, have them download, uh, the podcast as well. This reading rant is being recorded. You're probably going to see this maybe in a month or so from now on the podcast. Um, but you have the opportunity as well to watch this particular reading rant right after it's done on our Facebook group on the font everywhere on Facebook. So, um, let's get started. Let's get going. We're going to pray. These are the three questions that we're going to ask as we engage in the reading of the word. We're going to ask God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? The second question that we're going to ask is God, what are you revealing concerning people? And then the third question that we're going to ask is God, what are you revealing concerning me? Now you're going to ask this for yourself, but I want you to be asking that question. Say, God, what are you revealing concerning me? And that's what we're going to do. Father, we ask as we engage in your word today, Lord, we pray for revelation. We pray for clarity. We pray for impartation. We pray, Lord God, that you would um, lead us, guide us, Lord, teach us your ways in your word. Father, we submit to your word today. And more importantly, we submit to your spirit as we receive revelation from your word today. Lord, bless each and every person who's here as they engage in the word. Lord, I just pray that um, they would receive something today that edifies, that corrects, that encourages, that empowers, um, Lord, to provide sustenance for the day. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen and amen. So let's do it. Joshua chapter nine, we're all here. Let's get to it. Let's make it happen. Joshua chapter nine, verse one, and it says this, and it came to pass, when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowland, and in all the coasts of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard about it, 
that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. Hmm. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins and mended old patched sandals on their feet and old garments on themselves and all the bread of their provisions was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and they said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country now, therefore make a covenant with us. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you dwell among us. So how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? So they said to him, From a very far country your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, Sion king of Heshbon and Og king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. Therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions with you for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, Where are your servants? Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. This bread of ours we took hot for our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it is dry and moldy. And these wineskins, which were filled, which we filled, were new and see, they are torn. And these old garments and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them and made covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. And it happened at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them, that they heard that their neighbors who dwelt near that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. Then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Sepharah, Beeroth, Kirjath-Jerim. But the children of Israel did not attack them. But the rulers of the congregation had swore to them by the Lord God of Israel, and all the congregation complained against the rulers. Then the rulers said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest the wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. And the ruler said to them, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation, as the rulers had promised them. Then Joshua called for them, and he spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, we are very far off from you when you dwell near us. Now, therefore, you are cursed, and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. So they answered Joshua and said, Because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore, we were very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now, here we are, in your hands, do with us as it seems good and right to do to us. So he did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel, so they did not kill them. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and the altar of the Lord, 
in the place which he would choose even to this day. Now, it came to pass when Adonizedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were mighty. Therefore, Adonai, Adonai Zedek of Jerusalem sent Hohem, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up with me and help me, that we may attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore, the five kings of the Amorites, the kings, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up, they and their enemies, and camped before Gibeon and made war against it. The men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. So Joshua descended from Gilgal. He and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Joshua therefore came up, uh, sorry, came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes beyond Beth Haran, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Mekada. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent at Beth Haran, that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them from Ezekah, and they died. They were more, there were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there had been no day like it before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all of Israel with him to the camp of Gilgal. But these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in a cave of Mecca. And it was told Joshua, saying, The five kings have been found hidden in the cave of Mecca. So Joshua said, Roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. And do not stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemies and attack their rear guard. Do not allow them to enter their cities. For the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. Then it happened. While Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter. Till they had finished. 
that those who escaped entered fortified cities. And all the people returned to the camp, to Joshua at Mecca in peace. No one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring out the five kings to me from the cave. And they did so, and brought out those five kings to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. So it was, when they brought out those kings to Joshua, that Joshua called out for all the men of Israel and said to the captain of the men of war who went with them, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they drew near and put their feet on the necks of the kings. Then Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterwards Joshua struck them and killed them and hanged them on five trees. And they were hanging on the trees until evening. So it was at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded And they took them down from the trees, cast them into the cave where they were hidden, and laid large stones against the cave's mouth, which remain until this very day. On that day, Joshua took Mechadah and struck it and its king with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them, all the people who were in it. He let none remain. He also did to the king of Mechadah as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua passed from Mecca, and all of Israel with him to Libna, and they fought against Libna. And the Lord also delivered it to the king, in the into, sorry, and its king into the hand of Israel. He struck it and all the people who were in it with a, with the edge of a sword. He let none remain in it, but did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua passed from Libna and all of Israel with him to Lachish, and they encamped there and fought against it. And the Lord delivered Lachish, Lachish uh, into the hand of Israel. He took it on the second day and struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, according to all that he had done in Lib to Libna. And Haram, king of Gezer, came up to help Lachish. And Joshua struck him and his people until he left none remaining. From Lachish, Joshua passed to Eglon and all of Israel with him. And they encamped against it and fought against it. They took it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword. All the people who were in it, he utterly destroyed that day according to all that he had done to Lachish. So Joshua went up to Eglon and and all of Israel with him to Hebron, and they fought against it and took it and struck it with the edge of the sword, its king and all its cities and all the people who were in it. He left none remaining according to all that he had done to Eglon, but utterly destroyed it and all the people who were in it. Then Joshua returned and all of Israel with him to Debir, and they fought against it, and they took it and its king and all its cities. They struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed all the people who were in it. He left none remaining as he had done to Hebron. So he did to Debir and its king, and he had done also to Libna and its king. So Joshua conquered all the land, the mountain country and the south, the lowland and the western slopes and all their kings. He left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed. As the Lord God of Israel had commanded and Joshua 
conquered them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon. All these kings and their land Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned in all of Israel with him at the camp in Gilgal. Joshua 11. And it came to pass when Jabin, king of Hazor, heard these things that he sent to that he sent to Jobab, king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and the king of Akshpaf, and the kings who were uh, from the south, sorry, from the north, in the mountains and in the plain south of Shinaroth, in the lowland and in the heights of Dor on the west, to the Canaanites in the east and in the west, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, in the mountains, and the Hivite below Hermon, in the land of Mizpah. So they went out, and they all, their armies with them, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore in multitude, with very many horses and chariots. And when all these kings had met together, they camped, they came and camped together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. But the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time, I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all the people of war with him came against them suddenly by the waters of Merom, and they attacked them. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, who defeated them and chased them to the greater Sidon, to the brook of Mesrephoth, to the valley of Mizpah, eastward. They attacked them until they left none of them remaining. So Joshua did to them as the Lord had told them. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. Hmm. Joshua turned back at that time and took Hazor and struck its king with the sword. For Hazor was formerly the head of all those kingdoms. And they struck all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was none left breathing. Then he burned Hazor with fire. So all the cities of those kings and all their kings, Joshua took and struck with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. But as for the cities that stood on their mounds, Israel burned none of them except Hazor only, which Joshua burned. And all the spoil of these cities and the livestock, the children of Israel took as booty for themselves, but they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they destroyed them and they left none breathing. And the Lord, <clears throat> sorry, as the Lord commanded Moses' servant, so Moses commanded Joshua. And so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Hmm. Thus, Joshua took all this land, the country, the mountain country, all the south, the land of Goshen, the lowland, the Jordan plain, the mountains of Israel and its lowlands, the Mount of Halak <clears throat> and the ascent of Seir, even as far as Baal God in the valley of Lebanon, below Mount Hermon, he captured all their kings and struck them down and killed them. Joshua made war a long time with all the, those kings. 
There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel, except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. All the others they took in battle, for it was of the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might utterly destroy them, that they might receive no mercy, but that he might destroy them as the Lord had commanded Moses. And at that time, Joshua came and cut off Anakim from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, from all the mountains of Judah and from all the mountains of Israel, Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. None of the Anakim were left in the land in the children of Israel. They remained only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses. And Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. Then the land rested from war. Mm, that's good. Let's go. Joshua 12. These are the kings of the land whom the children of Israel defeated and whose land they possessed on the other side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon and all the eastern Jordan plain. One king was Sion, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon and ruled half of Gilead from Ar, which is on the bank of the river Arnon from the middle of that river, even as far as the river Jabbok, which is the border of the Ammonites in the eastern Jordan from the plain of the Sea of Shinaroth, as far as the Sea of Araba, the Salt Sea, and the road to Beth Jeshemoth, and southward below the slopes of Pisgah. The other king was Og, king of Bashan, and his territory was of the remnant of the giants, who dwelt at Ashtaroth and at Edrei, and reigned over Mount Hermon, over Selka over all Bashan, as far as the border of the Geshurites and the Mahakathites, and over half of Gilead to the border of Sion, king of Heshbon. These Moses, the servant of the Lord of the children of Israel, had conquered, and Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given it as a possession to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. And these are the kings of the country where Joshua and the children of Israel conquered on this, on this side of the Jordan, on the west from Baalgad in the valley of Lebanon, as far as Mount Halak in the ascent of Seir, which Joshua gave to the tribes of Israel as a possession according to their divisions in the mountain country and in the lowlands, in the Jordan plain, in the slopes, in the wilderness and in the south the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, the king of Jericho, the king of Ai, which is beside Bethel, one, the king of Jerusalem, one, the king of Hebron, one, the king of Jarmuth, one, the king of Lachish, one, the king of Eglon, one, the king of Jezir, one, the king of Debir, one, the king of Geder, one, the king of Horma, one, the king of Arad, one, the king of Libna, one, the king of Adullam, one, the king of Mekada, one, the king of Bethel, one, the king of Tupua, one, the king of Hefer, one, the king of Afek, one, the king of Lesheron, one, the king of Madon, one, the king of Hezar, one, the king of Shimron Meron, one, the king of Akshaf, one, the king of 
Tanakh, one. The king of Megiddo, one. The king of Kadesh, one. The king of Jokneam in Carmel, one. The king of Dor and the heights of Dor, one. The king of the people of Gilgal, one. The king of Tirzah, one. All the kings, 31. All the kings, 31. And we'll end with chapter 13. And then I'll share some thoughts. Joshua 13, verse 1. Now, Joshua was old, advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, You are old, advanced in years, and there remains very much a land yet to be possessed. This is the land that yet remains, all the territory of the Philistines and all that of the Gershorites, of Sihor, which is east of Egypt, and as far as the border of Ekron northward, which is counted as Canaanite, the five lords of the Philistines, the Gazites, the Ashdodites, the Ashkelonites, the Gittites, and the Ekronites, also the Avites from the south, all the land of the Canaanites, and Mira that belongs to the Sidonites, as far as Ephek, to the border of the Amorites, the land of the Gabalites and all Lebanon toward the sunrise from Baal Gad below Mount Hermon as far as the entrance of Hamath all the inhabitants of the mountains from Lebanon as far as the brook of Mishraphoth and all the Sidonians them I will drive out from before the children of Israel only divided by lot to Israel as an inheritance as I commanded you now therefore divide the land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half tribe of Manasseh. Hmm. <clears throat> with the other tribe of the Reubenites and the Gadites received their sorry, with the other half tribe of the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inhabitants, which Moses had given them beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses the servant of the Lord had given them from Aror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon and the town that is in the midst of the ravine and all the plains of Medeba, as far as Dibon and all the cities of Sion, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, as far as the border of the children of Ammon, Gilead, and the border of the Gersherites and the Maccathites, all Mount Hermon and all Bashan, as far as Salca, all the kingdom of Og in Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth and Edrei, who remained of the remnant of the giants for Moses defeated and cast out these. Nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Gersherites and the Maccathites or the Gesherites and the Maccathites dwelled among the Israelites until this day. Only the tribe of Levi, he had given no inheritance. The sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance, as he said to them. And Moses had given to the tribe of Israel and Reuben inheritance according to their families. Their territory was Aror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, the city that is in the midst of the ravine, and all the plains of Medeba, Heshbon, and all the cities of that plain, Dibon, Bamoth Baal, Beth Baal Meun, Jahaz, Kedamoth, Mephath, Kerjash, Kerjathaim, Kerjathaim, I'm sorry guys, this is, some of these are hard to pronounce, Kerjathaim, Sibma, 
Zerath Shahar on the mountain of the valley, Beth Peor, the slopes of Pisgah, the Beth and Beth Jeshemoth, all the cities of the plain and all the kingdom of Sion, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, whom Moses had struck with the princes of Midian, Evi, Rekim, Zer, Hur, and Reba, who were the princes of Sion, dwelling in the country, the children of Israel, also killed with the sword Balaam, the son of Beor, the soothsayer, among those who were killed by them. And the border of the children of Reuben was on the bank of the Jordan. This was the inheritance of the children of Reuben, according to their families and their villages. Moses had also given an inheritance to the tribe of Gad, to the children of Gad, according to their families. Their territory was Jazir and all the cities of Gilead and the half and half the land of the Ammonites, as far as Arar, which is be which is before Rabbah, and from Heshbon to Ramath, Mizpah, and to Betanim, and to Mahanaim, to the border of Debir, in the valley of Beth Haram, Beth Nimrah, Succoth, and Zavoth, Zaphon, the rest of the kingdom of Sihon, king of Heshbon with the Jordan as its border, as far as the edge of the Sea of Shinnereth, on the other side of the Jordan eastward. This is the inheritance of the children of Gad. Moses also had an inheritance to the half-tribe of Manasseh. It was for half the tribe of the children of Manasseh, according to the families. Their Tory was Mahanaim, all of Bashan, all the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, all the towns of Jair, which are in Bashan, 60 cities, half of Gilead and Ashtaroth and Edrei, the kingdom the, the kingdom of Og in Bashan, were for the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, for half the children of Machir, according to their families. All are the areas which Moses had distributed as an inheritance in the plains of Moab on the other side of the Jordan by Jericho eastward. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he had said to them. We're going to stop right here. Um, I hope you guys have been edified by this time that we've read together. Um, for those of you who are here for the first time, what we engage in is what I affectionately call the read and rap. And essentially what we do here is we spend time in the reading of scripture. Um, I believe that reading scripture is an incredibly powerful endeavor, even if you don't understand everything you've read. Simply exposing yourself to the reading of scripture is an incredibly, incredibly transformative endeavor. And so I'm truly encouraged that so many of you have committed to this time to journey in the reading of scripture, because what I hope is happening as you're reading is not only are you being transformed by the spirit of God as you're in this journey in the scripture, but you're also being informed. Okay. You're being informed in a powerful way because what we're doing here, if you've noticed is, is we're simply reading and just reflecting on what we've read. Now, for those of you who are here for the first time, this may be a little bit challenging because for those who have journeyed from the beginning, reading through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and now that we're reading through Joshua, for those of you who, uh, who have been on this journey along with us, what I believe has happened, if you guys have stuck with us, is 
I believe that your uh, your perception of the scriptures is changing. I hope that this is really reintroducing the Bible to you. Because often what happens is we're, we're being taught what the Bible says and we're being told to do this and do that because this is what the Bible says and the Bible says to do this, the Bible says to do that. And so we often get these piecemeal presentations of the scriptures, which causes us to really lose sight of the grand picture, the grand narrative and the grand scheme of what the scriptures is really intending to reveal. And so as a result of that, we lose sight We lose sight on the scripture. We lose sight on what the scripture is actually saying. But when you read it all the way through in its totality, you know, through Genesis all the way, especially as we've finished the Torah, the the Pentateuch, those five books, that you're leaving with a whole different perspective. And I want that you would journey. if, If you've noticed now that you're journeying through a story and if you can if you can see that you're journeying through a story about a people then it now gives you insight about what God has really accomplished in totality what has Christ really accomplished and a lot of the disconnect that i truly believe that a lot of quote unquote christians have i say quote unquote because i don't want to sound condescending it's just that often we have people who are religious but they're not christian in the way that that God and Christ desired us to be. They were not disciples or followers of the way. They're simply, you know, they're part of a religion, okay? Um, And and, and a lot of us have fallen from the pain and the suffering, um, the offense, the oppression, um, because when, when when it is just an institution and it's religious, it can become very much oppressive. But when you read the freedom of the text and begin to understand exactly what's happening here and you create the right perspective of the scripture, then you begin to know who God really is and what God's plan was and to get to really understand the fullness of what Christ has accomplished. And I and so that's my hope that my hope is, is that you would unpack and I've challenged many of you to do this and I hope some of you have some of you haven't you're just kind of just going okay I'm gonna stick here with this guy because he's saying a lot of stuff that makes me uncomfortable I know I've got messages from you guys who say you're saying a lot of stuff that makes me uncomfortable but what I find is is the reason why it makes you uncomfortable is because it goes against the many years of conditioning that you received many years of theological uh, what do I want to call it? Theological enculturing. Um, many years of theological, here's a good word, programming. You've been programmed into believing something. Not because the Bible says it, but because someone said it and found different verses all throughout the scripture to put together indoctrination correct and so we have theologies that are based on man-made philosophical structures not based off of the word of god not based off of the scriptures no we often take the word of god to fit our thinking to fit our philosophy to fit our ideology um and so we put really the word of god and the revelation of god in a box 
<clears throat> and so what I hope this is doing is, and it's a challenge that I gave a lot of you, is for many of us, I had to do the same thing. I had to throw away everything. Legit. I had to legit throw it all away and just read the scriptures from beginning to end and just see what it says. And I hope that's what you're doing. That's the journey I'm in with you. I'm, I'm on with you, okay? Because you're not going to fully understand. And that's why for many of us, there's still disconnects with the gospel. There's still disconnect with Jesus and what Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished. There's disconnect there's disconnects as it pertains to the power of the cross and what the cross has accomplished. And because, and, and, and a lot of it is because of religion. Okay. A lot of it is because of religion. So I say this to you because we have now, we're now in, in the book of Joshua. We've read through Genesis. And so what we're reading is the story of the children of Israel. And now we're seeing a large part of the story being fulfilled in Joshua. Joshua is a fulfillment of many promises. One verse I want to point out to you here is in Joshua uh, chapter, I believe it was in 11. Let me see if I can find it. Um, In Joshua chapter 11, verse 15, as the Lord commanded Moses, his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua and so Joshua did he left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Joshua is very much a continuation of the mandate that was put on Moses. Joshua is very much a continuation of that. And so to understand then what is actually being accomplished here, you had to have read those first five books. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't, um, go check out the Read and Rant podcast. You know, we're going, we're journeying through that. And also check out the font everywhere on Facebook. Um, you can, you can, um, you can catch up on all the previous readings. We do this every weekday morning from from uh, uh, from 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time to whatever time is afforded to us. Usually I end somewhere between 9 and 9.30. Uh, But I want to encourage you to do that as we read and reflect through the scriptures. But I want you to see something here is we're not reading a law that is written to us. But we're reading a story of a children of a people who are accomplishing the mandate of God, who are accomplishing the covenant that was given to them to be a nation of priests to literally be the embodiment of the kingdom of God. And that's what God called these people to be. And so this territory that they're returning to is a territory that's being given to them to lead, to rule, and to administrate in the way that God intended them to administrate it. God was in the business of restoring is justice. Is everybody here? God is in the business of restoring his justice. God is in the business of restoring his rule on earth. I find that there are many people, even Christians, who want to forego the earth. 
like, let's forget this. God, just take me to heaven and take me away from all this bad stuff on earth. And yet God is in the business of restoring our world. That's that's what the message of the gospel is. It's God bringing restoration to the earth. Notice, Jesus didn't say, your kingdom goes. He said, your kingdom come. The kingdom is coming. It's not leaving of the earth, but it's an anticipating of the coming of the kingdom of God. God is in the business of restoring all that is broken on the earth. And God wants to use mankind to do it. We can be so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. We can be so about, well, what do I need to do to go to heaven? Have you read so far in this text where God is causing us to prioritize our life in heaven and our reality in heaven? Or are we noticing here a stream of thought throughout the text that God is actually in the business of being restoration to the earth? and that he's doing it through humanity. Why? Because God isn't doing anything on earth without human participation. God is doing nothing on earth without human participation. Why? Because the scriptures tell us that he places his word above himself. And in his word, he said that he has given mankind dominion over the earth. We are God's ambassadors on earth. Therefore, God is going to restore the earth, but he's restoring it through human beings. He's restoring it through mankind. We are the administrators of God's restoration and God's justice on earth. The reason why God came and emptied himself in the form of a man is because the only thing he can do on earth is is through humanity. So he had to become humanity become sin in order to bring restoration to humanity so that humanity can be in him and bring restoration to the world. We're seeing a thread here and a story here of God doing something through humanity, through these people. And we're seeing this being accomplished. So if God is in the business of restoring his justice, he's beginning here. And we're seeing now Joshua, who is actually the the, the leader who's ushering this justice, and he's going into this land. And in this land, is everything that God hates. Um, We're talking about moral corruption. We're talking about child sacrifice. We're talking about um, every form of corrupt behavior. We're talking about every form of injustice. I think sometimes what we do is, is we read this scripture and, and, and sometimes we read the verses and we almost, it's, we, we always fall in this temptation of contrasting and backdropping it to our own personal experiences. Like we have a tendency to take the scripture and to superimpose it on our present reality as if the scriptures was written now. When the scripture was written then. I say that this is a, this is this is profoundly important family because you need to understand the world that ancient Israel lived in and you need to now backdrop it 
within the story and the narrative of the world that they lived in. Guys, this was a world of pure, just debauchery. Um, We're talking about cannibalism, child sacrifice, moral, I mean, every form of immorality, every form of anything that was vile and disgusting. These people were very much animalistic. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the, the, the you know, the, the rape of women or, or the, 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 the killing of children. These were normal things. These were everyday things for these people. Bestiality. You have to understand this is the world that Israel is in. And so the very people that they're fighting are very much a barbaric, immoral, animalistic, bestial people. Some people go, man, God is so harsh on these people. God is so God is so harsh. Like, why would God call Joshua to destroy these people? I'm talking about we just read now. We, we just read all kinds of stories of Joshua's military exploits. He's going into this land, this land that they're going to take over, that they're going to establish God's rule because God's rule is so different. I, I hope everybody's understanding now something is all this was in preparation for where they were going. Does anybody see that? All this was in preparation for where they were going. This whole time that they received the law, the Ten Commandments, the all the law. Remember, the law was not written to Christians. When we talk about the Mosaic Law, it was not written to Christians. That's why any Christian who goes and begins to read through Genesis or through Exodus or reads through Leviticus and begins to read it as if there are rules that Christians ought to follow are reading it wrong. These laws were written to ancient Israel in shaping them and preparing them for this moment, for where they're about to go. In Leviticus, they had the law of the atonement. In in Deuteronomy, they're receiving the law again for the next generation, the second generation. And then, and, and in that law, there were other laws that were being given. In the law, we saw women's rights. In the law, we saw how they ought to treat those who do not have. In the law, we're beginning to see justice, social justice. We, Guys, you have to understand this. Social justice originated through the children of Israel. Women's rights originated through the children of Israel. Oh, man. A lot of our sociological and governmental structures have been built off of this. Because before this, it was pure debauchery. The way we ruled was was, was with power, was with violence. The way ruling was done was through um, through self-gratification and self-pleasing. It was through sexuality. It was through all these things. The, this was the way that these people lived and they ruled and they operated through it. And now God's saying, it's time for my rule. 
I'm bringing my children back. And this is why they spent so much time in the law. Because the time that they spent in the law was so that this law could be established through the land that God is giving them. I hope everybody's seeing now what's happening here. This is a grander story. This is a story that through Joshua, a nation would come who would bring the rule of God in a place that was devoid of the glory of God. Joshua, stay with me, family. Through Joshua, a people is coming. Stay with me. Through Joshua, an army is coming. And this army is coming to wipe out evil and to establish the kingdom of God. Ooh. Through this, through Joshua, did you not know that Joshua's name is Jesus? The word Joshua is Jesus. It's the word Yeshua, which is the same word for Jesus. The word Joshua is the word Jesus in the Old Testament. And we're beginning to see now a foreshadow of the ministry of Christ. That through a man, a nation is coming. Are you guys seeing here? That through a man, a nation is coming. And this nation is going to be established. And this nation is not going to rule as the rest of the world ruled. But this nation would rule in the way that God intended them to rule. Joshua's name is Jesus. We're beginning to see now how Joshua is a type of Christ. <laughs> how Joshua is a type of Christ. He is a type of Christ because his ministry is a foreshadow of what Christ is doing through humanity. Let me back that up for a minute. Notice here, family, that God, if there's anything you leave with today, and hopefully this helps my boys, I hope Ellison and Izzy are listening to this, because I want you to have the right posture when you read this text. God is writing the story of what he's doing throughout humanity through a people that he chose and set aside to dramatize that story. God is writing a story about what he's doing for all people through what he is doing through these people. So when we read it, what we're reading is a foreshadow of what Jesus is actually doing. Jesus started from the gate. If you notice, even through, through Exodus and through Leviticus, that the priest had to administer the sacrifice in order to enter into the presence of God, this was a foreshadow of the means by which we can all enter into the presence of God through a priest and a sacrifice. Are you with me? When we read through Deuteronomy, we begin to read that God makes amendments to the law. Why? Because the law was never intended to bring you to heaven or hell. The law was to give you a guide by which you rule the earth. <laughs> the law was never good enough for heaven and hell. That's why you never see heaven and hell throughout the law. Where, where have we seen it, family? We haven't seen any of it. It's funny how the scriptures begin on earth and they end on earth. 
Oh man. I'm sorry. I got, I got a little I got a little intense, a little passionate about that. But it's critical that what you see here is now God accomplishing his rule and he's beginning to show how he's doing it through these people. And so now we see these people coming into this land, a land filled with sin, injustice, debauchery. And now what is God bringing? He's bringing justice. It is not odd. It's only odd for us to separate righteousness and justice. The word justice all throughout the Old Testament. And we keep seeing whenever you see the word righteousness in the Bible, it is the same word for justice. It's the word Sidkenu justice and righteousness that the law it was meant to bring justice that makes sense right that's why we have a law right the law was meant to bring justice (laughs) oh got it not to bring you to heaven or hell it was to bring justice did y'all catch that so we're beginning to see now how the righteousness of God now is beginning to establish the justice of God on earth through mankind, through the children of Israel. So wherever there wasn't women's rights, now we're beginning to see women's rights. Wherever there was injustice in slavery and servitude, now we're beginning to see how justice is reestablished through slave laws. Wherever we see now injustice in in, in, in inheritances and how they're transferred, whether it's transferred to children or to now we're beginning to see how it's done. Whenever we see injustice between how those who are in need and those who are sick and those who are poor, now we see this justice being established. You see, before then, you know, the poor were they killed the poor. They used to treat the poor as animals. They were treated as a less than human. And yet God is reestablishing his justice. Those who were sick and incapacitated, God was reestablishing his justice. We have to read the scripture within the back, within the backdrop of the grand narrative of what God is actually doing and what God is actually accomplishing. If we read this Bible, like it's a bunch of rules that we're just, how do we follow these rules? How do we, then we miss out on what the scripture is actually saying. I read this and see that Moses, the same commandments that were given to Moses, now Joshua is fulfilling it. He's fulfilling it. So uh, Joshua 11 and Joshua 12, what, what, what did we just read? We're reading all the victories and the conquests that Joshua uh, had, had, had all the land that he had conquered. We see in Joshua 13, as we read, all the remaining land to be conquered. And now in 13, we're seeing how the land is going to be divided among the children of Israel, how they would divide this land. Because from here on out, the land that they're being given need must be ruled, not by, by, by powers or by institutions or by philosophies, but by God and his law. This is the first time family with, This is the peculiarity. Now I'm ranting, y'all, but it's cool. 
Um, I hope you guys are okay with that. But this is the peculiarity of the children of Israel. Unlike any other people, every other nation, watch this, how cunning edge the children of Israel were. Every other people group and every other nation submitted to a personality, to a person. So they submitted to an emperor or submitted to a chief or submitted to a king where the chief or the king had the last say. As a matter of fact, the law was whatever the king wanted. The law was however the king desired to rule. Or the chief. This is how this chief rules. This is how this king rules. Ha. But the children of Israel were a peculiar people. They were different. They didn't rule by any king or by any priest or by any general. They ruled under a law. This is the cutting edge way of going about fulfilling justice. They were submitted to something greater than them. Even the one who has been given authority is under the authority of the law. Does that sound familiar? So many of our present cultural constructs and our sociological constructs have been built around the law of God. Yet we choose to ignore them. <laughs> I want you to understand now what is actually happening here in this text. We see Joshua coming to rule, uh, uh, coming to the land, and now the land is being divided up. It's being divided, right? And, and, and so if you, uh, just a real quick recap here, in Joshua 13, and then I'm going to be done. Um, in Joshua 13, what we see is how the land was divided on this, the, 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 this side of the Jordan, Okay, on this side of the Jordan, remember there was a side of the Jordan that they had already conquered, but even though they conquered it, they didn't divide it yet. They told the Gad, they told the um, the tribe of Manasseh um, to cross over. You you need to cross over with us and fight. Why? Because just because you got your inheritance before everyone else doesn't mean you shouldn't seek the benefit of everyone else. Just because you got your inheritance first doesn't mean you sit back idly and wait for your brothers to fight for their inheritance. Just because you've been blessed with whatever God has given you doesn't mean you sit back and you wait and just see what happens to them. No, you're going to cross the Jordan with them and you're going to fight with them or the inheritance that you have will be cursed. This, of course, is what we learn and what we need to understand about the principle of God is that for some of us, we've been given the privilege to earn an inheritance that our fellow brothers and sisters have not earned yet. And even though we've earned our inheritance, we shouldn't be ashamed of our inheritance, but we should also seek to fight that those who are around us get the same privilege and the same ability and the same opportunity to receive what it is for them. You know, your brother and sister in Christ who's struggling, who's suffering, they don't need your prayers. What they need is they need your hands. They need you to fight for them. They need you to fight. They need your voice. They need you to fight for their justice. They need, to, they need you to fight for their deliverance. They need you to fight for their breakthrough. Often what happens is, is that for those who've been given the privilege to receive an inheritance before another people often fall under the guise of uh, what I call um, privilege guilt. 
where they feel like they should be guilty of the privilege that they have. And yet that's not the message of the gospel. Your privilege is your power. <laughs> your privilege is your power. Yes, the tribe of Manasseh got their inheritance before the others, but they didn't enjoy their inheritance until they crossed over the Jordan and they fought for the others who were still fighting for the land. This goes to anyone who has any form of privilege. If you have any form of privilege, be it you are a man, be it you are a certain race, be it you are a certain ethnicity, and because of your ethnicity or because of your race or because you have a certain privilege, guess what? You have all also a responsibility and you have a power. I came to say, first of all, that you shouldn't feel guilty for your privilege, but you should feel empowered by your privilege because your privilege now gives you the capacity and the power to step in with people who do not have and to help them get to where they need to go. It is your very privilege now that gives you the power to speak on their behalf. It is your privilege now that allows you to help administrate their justice and their righteousness. No, you don't sit back and just hope for the best for them. Them, but you dig in and you fight for them. You lean and you bring yourself down and fight for them. You put yourself in the same place that they're in to help them get what is theirs. Yes, uh, this side of the Jordan is yours, but now we're going to cross the Jordan together and we're going to fight for you to get yours as well. I find on this part of the text is when the land is finally divided to them. They had the land, but they didn't get to enjoy the inheritance until it was divided to them. Because this is how God rules. This is how he intends us to rule. If there's anything I'm convicted of as I'm spending this time in reading is our privilege is our power to administrate the justice and the righteousness of God. Um, I know there are people from all over the world who are watching. I know I have people from Nigeria watching right now. I know I have people from um, South Africa who are right, watching right now. I have people from Australia. I've got people in the UK. I've got people in Russia. I just saw someone who said they're in Lebanon who are watching right now. Um, and I know there are people who are watching from all over the world. Florida, that's my backyard, watching from all over the world. Um, and I'm so glad you're here. Um, truly, I'm, I'm, I'm so profoundly glad that you're here. But there are many of us here who are born in the States. And for those of us who are born in the States, we know that something is wrong right, in our country. There's something wrong. Um, we also see that in the United Kingdom as well. But we see something wrong. Somebody said Lagos, Nigeria. There's injustice in Lagos, Nigeria. Not not in Lagos, but in Nigeria itself. Right? Zizu, I know you know exactly what I'm talking about. That you have the northern region of uh, of Nigeria and the southern region. The northern region is predominantly, I believe, uh, Muslim, and the southern region is predominantly Christian. Correct me if I'm wrong. In the northern region, there's a, a North African ethnicity influence. And in the southern region, there's a South eastern no southwestern influence and so we have two ethnicities even in nigeria and there's a lot of oppression right now of one ethnicity over the other now you can correct me if i'm wrong i'm giving you one example in nigeria in south africa we saw this we saw this form of injustice where we saw 
uh, um, the apartheid and the pain, the suffering that came from the apartheid. We saw it in Nigeria. We saw it in Rwanda, right? Hutus and Tutsis coming at odds with one another, two people of different ethnicities at odds with each other. This is the work of the enemy. And this is the work of the devil. And in the United States, we have so much pain and suffering that's come from our dark history and slavery. Where our slavery was a little bit different, it was racially, it was racially driven. We brought people from across the pond over to this side. Many had died, many suffered. And as a result, we see still remnants of that today. Slavery was not that long ago in our country. I think sometimes what happens is, is we want to move away from it. We kind of want to just forget it. Okay, guys, guys, it was the past. Let's just move on. It was the past. Let's just move on. Right? It's the past. Let's just move on. Let's keep moving on. It wasn't that long ago. We have great grandparents who were slaves. So it wasn't that long ago. I'm bringing all this up because where we see injustice, we need to ask the Lord, how can he use us to bring justice? I think we want to forget and move on, but I think actually there's more healing in coming together to remember it. And to come together and say, how can we now cross the river Jordan together? Um, I think often we like to take the posture, especially those who've been given the privilege, and, and I can even use it in the church. There's privilege in the American church. And I've seen it also in other places around the world as well, but even in the American church, there's privilege. There's a certain privilege that men have in the American church. That's more culturally driven and sociologically driven than biblically driven, right? There's, a, there, there's also a lot of that. So for me, I look at myself as a man who has privilege in the church. How do I help my fellow ladies cross the Jordan? Are y'all hearing me? For my fellow white brothers and white sisters, I have a lot of white friends and I love them very much. And we have these hard conversations and I say to them, Listen, I acknowledge that you have privilege, but thank God you do. Now, how are you going to use it? I don't want you to lose your privilege. It doesn't help me at all for you to lose your privilege. <laughs> what is that? What do I want? Wait, I, I want you to lose. No, I don't want you to lose your privilege. I want you to use your privilege. <laughs> do you hear that? I don't want you to lose your privilege. I want you to use your privilege. To bring justice and righteousness. <laughs> you know, um, there are places you can go that I can't go. There are things that you can say that I can't say. Or the things, if I say it, it doesn't have the same weight as if you say it. So we need you to say it. When you see that there's opportunities, why aren't we crossing the Jordan with our fellow brothers and sisters in need? I'm only saying this to say that they didn't get to enjoy 
the territory, half the tribe of Manasseh. That's what we read. Half the tribe, um, the tribe of Gad, the tribe of Reuben, these three tribes, well, two and a half tribes, they were already given the land on the other side that they had already conquered. Ah, but they didn't get to enjoy it yet until they knew that their other fellow brothers and sisters also got their territory and their land. So I say that to say, are we fighting for our fellow brothers and sisters or is it still us and them? Is it us as one in Christ or is it us and them? What we see is happening here is the establishing of a remnant of a foreshadow of the kingdom of God. And we see that happening right here in this text. And I'm encouraged by this text because I want you to see, and this is, um, and that'll be the last verse. Hopefully I can find it. Verse 23. So Joshua and the whole, after they've won, says, so Joshua took the whole land according to all the Lord had said to Moses and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel, according to their divisions and their tribes. Then the land rested from war. I read this knowing that this is a story of what God is doing and what God is accomplishing through his people. And I find that right now we are in a time of incredible division tumult we've never been so divided not just as a nation as a world I see what's happening in the Middle East I see what's happening in Northern Africa I see what's happening in Palestine the incredible injustices that are happening on the Gaza Strip. There's just injustice all around. There's no one who can look at that and say that something isn't wrong here. No one's asking you to take a side. We're not here to take a side. We're here to cross the Jordan with those who are suffering. We know something isn't right. We see so much racial divide, even in the UK, so much racial divide right now. In the UK, we see, we see all the division that's happening in, in, in Northern India, in China. We see so much division and pain. We're at war. Our world is at war. Our land is at war. And I know I'm going to cheat a little bit, but the same way that Joshua came in with an army and in the end he comes in with an army and that army it says right here right at the end of that the land rested from war the army came in and they overcame not simply by their might and by their power we read this text this army came in 
And yes, they came with swords. And yes, there was a lot of killing. And yes, there was a lot of suffering. And yes, there was a lot of pain. But the scriptures tell us that it wasn't just through their swords. It was through the hailstones that were that had came down. It was God bringing justice through these people. And yet there came a time when there was no more war. That the land had an opportunity to rest. If there's anything that we pray for is the coming of the kingdom of God when there will be no more war where the land will rest again where every brother and every sister is one in Christ where there will be no more pain no more suffering we're in a battle but the confidence that I have, even as I read this, because it reminds me of what I read in Revelation, is, oh, there's a battle, but we know how this battle ends. I've read Joshua so many times, and yet every time I read Joshua, I read what's happening in the tense moments, and I have a confidence knowing how it ends. And yet I've been given the privilege that even though I'm part of a story right now, Revelation tells me how it ends that there will be rest, that there won't be pain anymore on this land, that there will be a day when this land will rest from war. And it, was, it wouldn't be Joshua that ushers in this army, but it will be Jesus. And in this army will be people from all nations and all tongues. In this army will be people from Gaza and also people from northern Jerusalem. There will be people from all places and all ethnicities. There will be people from Palestine and also people from Israel. There will be people from Nigeria and also people from Rwanda. There will be people from the United Kingdom and there will be people from Brazil. There will be people from every area, every ethnicity who will come together as an army and take hold not through swords and weapons and guns, but simply through the message of the gospel that we are one in Jesus Christ. And in that day, there will be rest. In that day, there won't be war. We anticipate that day. Father, I thank you. Um, Lord, for what you're showing us Lord, through the story that you're narrating in the book of Joshua, how, how these people who, Lord, on their own could not have, Lord, fulfilled the exploits that you've called them to, but this land was a land that they came to possess, that you gave them to bring restoration back to the land, to bring healing back to the land, to bring a new government back to the land. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you are, even till this moment and in this time, establishing a new government. A government not by weapons and missiles, but a, a government that is governed by your spirit, by love, by the love that we ought to have for one another, by sacrifice, the giving of our lives towards one another. Father, I thank you that, Lord, you are revealing this to us, Lord, even as we read your scripture, Lord, the story that you're writing through your people and Lord the people that we've been called to by faith so bless us in this time Lord teach us Lord how we ought to 
rule. Teach us, Lord, how to submit to you in all that we do uh, today and throughout the week. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.